0: One size fits all seems like a good idea for clothes until you try them on. Same goes for healthcare. That's why United Healthcare offers flexible, budget-friendly coverage for medical, vision, dental, and more. Learn more at uh1.com.
1: I'd like to begin this podcast by recognizing the traditional owners of the land in which it is recorded. I pay respect to their elders past, present, and And those emerging. So (laughs) we're very COVID. COVID (laughs) safe, Kate. You've got to be COVID safe in this (laughs) world. Hey there, everybody. Welcome to Nature or Nurture, the podcast where I interview fascinating people on the key milestones that made them who they are today. And I'm joined by someone I'm a huge fan of. I'm very excited I get to meet this person in person, which is is something that doesn't always get to happen. The great Tanya Lacey. Welcome.
0: Oh, thank you, Sammy. That's quite the intro. (laughs) So...
1: The question I like to ask to start this podcast is something that I always say is a simple question, but it's absolutely not a simple question Mm -hmm. at all. The question is, do you think that nature or nurture has had the greatest impact on you?
0: Mm. Wow. I think nurture.
1: Mm. Why do you think that?
0: Um, It was a fairly tumultuous childhood that I had. Um, So where did you grow up? uh, Well, I was born in Singapore. Mm Mm-hmm. Um, and then we moved back to Toowoomba where my parents were from areas around there. Um, and then we went back to Singapore and then we went came to Melbourne. But the thing was um, there was serious mental illness in my family mm-hmm. and, um, you know, it was dangerous at times. It was scary at times. Mm. Violence um, and not but this was from... My grandfather, and he was basically an undiagnosed schizophrenic. Right. In a country town. Yeah. And so, yeah, it was very, a lot of upheavals. Mm.
1: My, my brother has um, drug psychosis and I've mm-hmm. kind of seen that, you know, that that it does present sometimes as schizophrenia. Mm-hmm. So for you, in being a, being a child in that environment, how did you create your own childhood in that environment?
0: mm Interesting. Well, I spent a lot of time in my room pretending to be other people. (laughs) Yeah,
2: yeah, yeah.
0: Um, And I used to practice – I remember I used to practice pulling funny faces. Sure. (laughs) Uh, And so, you know, you just develop ways of coping, I think. Um, And also the thing was too that my dad was in Vietnam – so, for like a year. Mm. And so, it was just mum, my brother and me and this very kind of tumultuous other character um, that made our lives really difficult.
2: Yeah, yeah.
1: So, for you doing that, going into your room and pulling funny faces and everything, mm-hmm. did, were you inspired by someone when you were little? Was there someone you were watching that did that, that you liked?
0: Um, yeah, I remember watching, um, what was that show with Goldie Horn and...
1: Oh, right, okay, yeah. Um, I can't think of it off the top of my head, but,
0: yeah. Very
2: stupid, yeah.
0: <laughs> but funny. Um, Yeah, I remember watching that and always think what I loved, I don't know if I found them funny, but I loved watching everyone laugh.
2: Yeah, sure, yeah.
0: And so I don't even think I got what that show was, but I just remember watching everyone in the room, watching it, laughing. And I thought, this is amazing. Yeah. And so for me, you know, and I was – I was pretty funny from a young age. Yeah. Um, so I just I just loved that thing of people laughing.
2: Yeah,
1: yeah. Did you want to make your family laugh?
0: All the time. Yeah. And <laughs> if I did, you know, it was – I would be doing that same gag all night. Pretty good strike, right? yeah. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Good reviews from yeah. the family. Yeah. yeah. Oh, totally. That was like, you know, my big thing. Yeah. Like, just making them laugh.
1: Did you make your grandfather laugh? No. No. no one no one could get through to him. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> mm. What did your relationship with your family, how did that change as you got older?
0: Um, yeah, I think also I became more aware that the mental illness had been passed down through the family mm-hmm. and not only was my mother suffering but I was suffering. And, you know, like interestingly enough, there's um, research at the moment to show that we inherit trauma in our DNA. Right. So I guess that trauma went through her, through me, and, you know, I was diagnosed with a mental illness um, after, you know, efforts to self-medicate and, you know, I had many different ways of self-medicating from um, activity to through the gamut, you know, I ran the gamut, Mm. through to the most lethal drugs there are. Um,
1: When you were really young? Like, was this... No,
0: this was in my... um, Late 20s. Yeah, yeah. But I think I knew that there was something wrong from when I was about 16.
1: How did that present itself?
0: Just intense feelings of loneliness, Mm -hmm. unworthiness. um, Very, very... It's like I felt so much more than other people I knew. Yeah, okay. And I couldn't understand how they couldn't feel what I was feeling. And, yeah, I just felt really alone Mm.
1: did you always have really intense emotions and very
2: yeah
0: very um that's part of my illness um that i i do feel more deeply than other you know someone who might be psychologically well Mm
1: -hmm. so when you were growing up what were your what were your (laughs) friends like did you have friends that were the same as you that liked the same things that you wanted to do
0: Um, Well I was really into ballet so I was at ballet um, you know five days a week and Saturday all day Saturday so my life was pretty full so I I would see my other school friends maybe on a Saturday night but yeah my life was a bit different from from everyone else because I was so dedicated and I was so and also you know that's part of probably my illness that it kept me from thinking other things. It yeah. kept me from, you know, I just knew that when I was dancing, I was I was happy. Yeah. And that, that really saved me. Yeah. Um, and I guess when I was at the Victorian College of the Arts, a drunk teacher dropped me and I snapped the bottom half of my leg from the top half. Wow. And it was a really serious injury. <clears throat> and I took a long time to recover and then I went back to the college and... You know, I just couldn't keep up the level of training. Mm. My leg was just hurting too much. And so when that kind of routine left my life, I was really lost. Yeah. Because it was like taking a drug.
1: Of course. Yeah, absolutely. You know,
0: it was like I had my addiction sorted and it was called ballet. You had a
1: routine and you were doing the same thing every day, like, you know, getting up and... I yep. imagine you were training for what? How many hours a day? Well, when you you'd
0: do um, two classes in the morning, three hours, and then another class after lunch, another hour and a half, and then to- subjects on on top of that.
1: Yeah, yeah. So, yeah. So, dancing was your your life at that. At that oh point. yeah,
0: that's yeah. all I ever wanted to do. I never thought I'd be anything else. But, yeah. You know, even at the college, though, I remember lunch times were kind of like. Me performing in the common room and everyone laughing along. Yeah. Like, you know, I was pretty good at wearing this mask of presenting the this clown and and everyone thought I was hilarious. But, um, yeah, underneath I knew that things weren't right.
1: Yeah. Did you always, like even <coughs> after you're making people laugh all the time, you're having a good time with people, did you still only think about dancing? Was there – was, was – Was anything in the back of your head thinking that you could do comedy full time?
0: No. 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 Yeah. And I wasn't interested.
2: Yeah. You know,
0: I was was so in love with ballet. That's all I wanted to do was dance. And so, yes, I knew I could make people laugh and I knew that in high school and um, I knew that I could write funny things um, and I handed in a lot of funny essays. But when it came to the thought of actually being a comedian, no, never thought yeah. That would be where I'd end up.
1: Yeah. So that didn't happen for a little bit after that because, you know, Countdown and all these things were happening for you. So after finishing, what was what was the next step for you to, to be a professional dancer?
0: Well, what happened was I, I figured I can't do the classical, so I'll go into, you know, modern dance and um, commercial dance, which, you know, was a lot easier on my leg. And then um, I was dancing on Countdown and... I got asked to choreograph the clip for Kylie. Yeah, and so locomotion. Yeah, 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 yeah.
2: yeah.
0: <laughs> <laughs> and then at around the same time they asked me to audition for this new show and, and I got that show and that was The Factory. Yeah, yeah. And um, that's where <laughs> the only reason, the only reason I got to do the things I did was because no one gave a shit about me. <laughs> what What...
1: What at that time did you feel like you had something to prove? Did you feel like you just wanted to be far away from your childhood? Why do you think that you started to explore different avenues other than other than dance?
0: They presented themselves to mm. me, and I said
1: yes, yeah, stupidly, sure. yep, like yep. yeah, I
0: can do that. Um,
1: <laughs> you know. What was the, what was the training in that? Because you know. you're naturally funny person, but how did you kind of twist that and make it your own thing and learn along the way?
0: Because they didn't care. Yeah. They only cared about the guys. They didn't even look at my stuff before it went to air. Wow. You know, like, and they really just did not give a shit what I was doing so long as I, you know, had stuff to fill in the time on the show. Yep. And then suddenly the stuff, you know, like I was working with a director who – like me, was very rebellious and we've decided that let's just walk into the Melbourne Club, let's just walk into the Herald Sun, let's just walk into Channel 7, let's just go yeah, and film it. And so we did that and it started becoming really popular um, and because, you know, it was a youth market that the factory was for, of course they related so strongly to it because they've wanted to do the same thing, you yeah,
2: know. Yeah,
0: yeah. And um, – so suddenly I became popular and suddenly there was fan mail and then suddenly there were like it was almost like the executive producer were like, Who is this girl? <laughs> like
1: <laughs> Have I met? Yeah. yeah.
0: <laughs> <laughs> and um with that popularity the you know, they I guess then started looking at my work. <laughs> But no, they wouldn't. They still didn't look at my work until it went to air. Because after my work had gone to air, then they'd come up to me and say, "Don't you ever say that on television again?" And I'd be like, "Well, maybe if you watched it before it went to air, yeah. you know." But after it goes to air, like, come on. Yeah. Um. So yeah, I just ran with this opportunity that you know, and then I started writing characters and. Um,
1: performing. What was your first character that you that you, did, uh, that you really really landed?
0: Annette librarian and um then you know I did Carlos no one had been doing no woman had been doing drag yeah yeah, yeah,
2: <laughs>
0: so yeah. I'd had this male character that when I was dressed up as Carlos it, it quite shocked me because I'd look at the reflection and think I can't see me like I can't you yeah. know all those faces that I pulled came in very handy <laughs> um and yeah, so I, I started doing these characters, they became very popular. You know, I got ads doing those characters. Yeah. Um so it was really just I it was amazing that I was allowed to do the things that I did. And I just did them as fearlessly as I could. Yeah. And that's how I learned, you know, like and there were some things that failed that just didn't go to air, and there there but there was a lot that succeeded. You know, I was churning out um, 20 to 30 minutes of television a week. Wow. That's a lot of television on one person. Yeah. And, um, you know, I was writing a lot of that. And and the other stuff was just off the cuff. So,
1: Was it know, scary? Were you um, terrified or were you just too busy writing half an hour all
2: the time?
0: I, again, I just fell into another addiction.
1: Yeah.
2: You know,
0: I just lost myself in this world and I wrote and I wrote and I wrote and, I wrote and I'd get up and I would go to work and I would you know, work all day and then I'd be in the edit and then I'd go home and I'd write some more. And and I loved it because my life was full and yeah. fun and, you know, but it essentially saved me again from heading down a really destructive path.
1: Yeah. Were, were your family and friends shocked that this is what you were doing? Was it a surprise to them that all of a sudden you weren't just – going to going to college and becoming a dancer. Was it was it a shock to them?
0: It was a big shock to everyone and I don't think they really liked it that much. Okay. Um,
1: they weren't very supportive of what you were doing.
0: It was more that it was like, you know, if we'd go out and then everyone would come to the table wanting my autograph and, you know, let's just finish our meal and go. Right. Um, and it really puzzled me. Um, I, I don't know why that was.
1: When did you start feeling like people were catching on, like people that you knew, like friends? When, when did you think that people started catching on, going, oh, this is what she does and she does it really well?
0: The first I, – I was actually in Sydney. Um, I was – I had a choreog- choreographing job in Sydney and I was walking down the street with some of the dancers and these two guys stopped at the lights and they were like, are you that girl from the television? And I was like, Yeah. And that was the first time. And then after that, it just exploded. Yeah. I don't know what happened. Like, it just went nuts. Um, and it became, you know, like, it was kind of hard to go anywhere.
1: Yeah, yeah. What was that? How did that change your lifestyle in that way? Were you only just working anyway? Was Did you have much of a personal life at that, at that point?
0: I'd go out some Saturday nights or whatever. But, no, because I was... No, I was so dedicated, you know, again, dedicated, just yeah. writing, perfecting. Yep. Um, I knew that I had a shoot on Monday morning, so I, you know, and also I had to organise a lot of the stuff. I had to go and get my costumes. I had to go on, you know, there was no wardrobe mistress. <laughs> yeah,
2: yeah. It
0: was just, oh, you know, I'll organise it. Um, So, you know, I, I had a really great run of, of being able to be experimental without anyone watching. Yeah. And then sort of by the time everyone had caught on, I was actually probably, you know, doing quite well.
1: Yeah, yeah. What, what after that? What was your plan? Did you have a plan after that? <coughs> were you just too busy focusing on the job at hand?
0: I was just too busy focusing on the job at hand. And then, of course, they axed the factory and they bought in Countdown Revolution. And, you know, that was a nightmare to work on. It was just a nightmare.
1: Why was it such a bad a bad experience?
0: Molly Meldrum was the executive producer. Um, he was barely ever there. He, right. He didn't know what to do.
1: Yeah,
2: yeah. Um,
0: he was great at doing other things, but this was not his job. Yeah. And um, it was just a nightmare. They had, like, so many – and every week he'd come, I met this guy at Paran Market. He was spooking out the front of the butcher. He's going to be one of the new hosts. And literally there was one night – where all the hosts were on stage waving goodbye, and there were more people on stage than in the audience, you know, like yeah. it just, it just was not working.
1: Yeah, and I then always had a, a rule when I was doing stand up: if there's more people on stage than in the audience, <laughs> then you don't do the show. Don't <laughs> <Can't> go on. <laughs> if there's not two people in the audience, you don't do the show. <laughs>
0: smart, very smart. Um, but yeah, it was a. Terrible mess of a show. And then they ended up sacking everyone and putting Mark Little and I on as the hosts. And Mark Little had a reputation as a really great comedian. I mean, he was doing Neighbours by then, but Mm. he really had a great reputation as like the comedian's comedian. Right. You know, like um, around town. But um, the more successful the show became... The more control, they you know, they we entered into this deal, it was like we want anarchy, you know, and then it just became like, no, stop tape, you can't say that. Why can't we? What? Um, well, the, when it would turn out that they that record company was giving airfares to Europe or America to go and interview someone, so um, no, we couldn't, it was cash for comment before yeah. cash for comment, basically.
1: Yeah. Did you did you have people around you that you really admired or who you wanted to work with at the time?
0: Look, the big gig was also happening at the same time. So I was I was watching, you know, all these amazing women. Um, Wendy Harmer. Wendy Harmer, yep. Judith Lucy, mm. Denise Scott, all of them, you know, just kicking goals on yep. this show. And it was so great. But the thing was that at the ABC, there were no women in positions of power. So, there were no women there to guide me. Yeah. There were no women there to advise me. If It was very difficult whenever I spoke to an executive who was usually someone a good 20 years older than me who thought that I was a child and could shout at me. Yeah, You know, so there was never any respect for me and what I did it was just you know these grumpy old men who would yell at me
1: yeah how did you keep going <clears throat> how, how were you so resilient in that time
0: um I guess I was you know and I still have this as an element of myself um when something you know pushes me the wrong way I'm just like that's fine I'll show you and I do
1: yeah yeah I don't care what it takes do you think do. that's a big driver in your, in your career?
0: Absolutely. Yep. Absolutely. It has always been. That's yeah. okay. It's all right because I'll
2: show you.
1: Yeah. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> <laughs> when did you decide to move away from Australia?
0: Oh, look, I, I actually moved away from Australia before I actually moved away from Australia. Um, I You know, after everything that happened and I'd been through everything I'd been through, I became a writer. So I was living in this bubble. Yeah. where I was making a very fine living and I didn't have to deal with people.
2: Yeah. And yeah.
0: I was at the height of dealing with my mental illness. Um so it was perfect. It was perfect. I didn't have to deal with people. I just had to write this stuff and go to therapy. That was yeah. that was kind of what I was doing. And I did that for a long time and um I had uh, you know, I got married and I'd had a baby and Um, then we decided in 2015 to go to Germany.
1: Um, What was the decision to to go to Germany?
0: um, Because we didn't want our son to become a dickhead. No. Um, (laughs) 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 By staying here. Um, No. uh, My husband is German and we wanted our son to be fully bilingual. Yeah, wow. So we were in a position to be able to give him that gift. Yeah. Yeah and so we moved to germany and put him in a german school and he is completely bilingual wow
1: did you um, were you determined to create a different childhood for your oh so yeah, much yeah. so much
0: oh god yeah and i i knew i was i was literally like this stops with me like this child is never going to feel the way i felt as a child and i'm happy to say he doesn't yeah We have produced a very well-balanced, motivated young man and he's happy and he doesn't show any signs of mental illness and, you know, I just really was determined that this child was going to be so well-loved and never feel that way, Mm. never feel that alone feeling that I had at three and four. Um, So, yeah, he's... He's my my proudest achievement, absolutely.
1: Yeah. A lot of people say that, you know, hurt people hurt people. That's the that's the thing that a mm. lot of people say that, you know, especially a lot of people that I've met in comedy have had really bad childhoods and they end up, you know, sometimes it manifests in very different ways. For you taking control of that, what? how did you do that? How did you go, I'm just going to take control of this and deal with this and it, it stops with me? Yeah,
0: well... <laughs> it i did do a lot of therapy and it was very intense um i had to go twice a week for a year and this therapist was an expert in borderline personality disorder mm-hmm. and he was tough he was tough there were no excuses there were no there was no backing out it was just full on yeah and that really helped um but i guess i was just I just never wanted my child to feel the feelings I felt. Mm. You know, and I just thought I have to I have to love this child beyond beyond anything, and I did. Yeah. And um I I really was determined that this would stop with me.
2: Yeah.
1: Is it was it hard to kind of put yourself second to that to go because I mean you would have been dealing with a lot of mental health issues at that time was Mm. it really hard to kind of go this baby I need to focus on the baby instead of kind of I mean you've been to therapy but was was there a time when you were kind of going I just need to focus on the baby
0: um well actually what (laughs) I don't know if this is an answer to the question but often they say that when you experience trauma in your life when your child reaches that same age you will begin to freak out about that trauma for them
1: oh sure
2: okay
0: um, and that definitely happened for me. So um, when he was about three, I, I was back in therapy, mm. you know, just really – it just triggered a whole lot of stuff. Um, and that was a really important time
1: for me to be in therapy
0: because that is when I could have made the mistakes. Sure, yeah. But I didn't. So, Yeah.
1: With with hearing a diagnosis when you're going to therapy, like you know, they say you know what your mental illness is and everything. Is that easier to to manage after you know what it is? Do you think? Or
0: I was relieved. Mm. I was relieved because I I just sort of then I knew what I was dealing with, and my husband knew what he was dealing with, and it was just such a relief for both of us. How really. did it
1: show itself? Like when did you realize that this was maybe something that. You (laughs) were experiencing.
0: Well, I actually thought I had borderline personality disorder a long, long time before I was diagnosed with it. Right. When I was reading a book about Marilyn Monroe, and um, the diagnosis for her was borderline personality disorder. I didn't know that. Right. Okay. And I'm reading it, and I'm going, "Oh God, this really, you know, feels like me." And um, not the blonde hair and the beauty, just the. <laughs> Where she behaved. <laughs> um, and that that started it. and that's when I sort of went on a journey and I you know I had a therapist and I mentioned it to her and she was like, I'm Sandra, and I'm just the professional your small business was looking for. But you didn't hire me because you didn't use LinkedIn jobs. LinkedIn has professionals you can't find anywhere else, including those who aren't actively looking for a new job but might be open to the perfect
1: role, like me. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't visit other leading job sites. So if you're not looking on LinkedIn, you'll miss out on great candidates, like Sandra. Start hiring professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com slash people today.
0: I can't deal with it because it's not my area. It's a very mm. complex area. So I was sent to this other person. Um, but... Yeah, I had suspected. And, you know, like Borderline is called Borderline because you're on the border of so many different sort of, you know, comorbid conditions. Mm. So, but the worst thing for me was not being able to handle my emotions. You know, they would come up, they would be so huge and I would lash out and that would be physical. Yeah. And it would be usually upon myself. So, you know, it was... mm. Yeah, it was it was about learning skills to to control that.
2: Yeah, did
1: well, well, when you got that diagnosis, did you have preconceived ideas of what that was? Like, did you kind of already know what it was in terms of you'd seen someone who apart from Marilyn Monroe, that had borderline personality disorder. did Was it different than you thought it would be? Did you have any other ideas? That you
0: yeah, I was actually be? really surprised at how many things I'd done that were actually related to the illness. Yeah, And I remember at first them asking me, have you ever blah, 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 and I'd be like, no, no, no. And then like two weeks later I'd go, I have done that. That's just what? exactly what I used to do. I just didn't see it
2: Yeah, as yeah. part
0: of an illness. You know, I just thought that that's what I did. Um, so it was quite eye-opening.
1: Yeah. Excuse my ignorance here, but is that something that's genetic? Is it from Is it from birth? You said it was passed from your grandfather, you think?
0: Um, well, I think that you've got a situation here where you've got an undiagnosed, mentally ill man mm. who raised children, who then, um, can, you know, my mother was 20 when she was married, mm. um, had her first child at 21, So you've got a child who's in an era where they don't talk about mental illness, suddenly raising two children Mm. and not realising the effects of her own past and passing them on. Mm. And so, yeah, that's why I was like, no, it stops with me.
1: How are you living overseas and being away from everything? Because, you know, you're Tanya, you're famous, you're getting, you know, people always want autographs, you're a very funny person, you're known as a funny person. What was it like moving to a country where maybe they didn't know who it you were? It was such a relief, right? Yeah, yeah, yeah,
0: yeah, yeah.
2: yeah.
0: <laughs> you know, and i I had never really done stand up. Like I'd done a lot of comedy, but I'd never done straight stand up, right, disciplined. Okay. You know, you done one
1: woman shows. Yeah, it, yeah, 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 yeah. But
0: I wanted to be at the point where I was getting a laugh every thirty yeah. seconds. Sure. You know, like yeah. I wanted to be writing that kind of, which takes a really long time to write that kind of stuff. Mm. Anyway, so. The reason I got up on stage in Berlin and started doing that was because no one knew who I was. I could fail. Yeah. And I failed magnificently, you know, like for a good couple of months. Yeah. But it didn't matter. And then I got better. And then yeah. I, I just got better and better and, you know, then I was headlining. And so it was such a relief to have the freedom to fail.
2: Yeah, yeah.
0: Um, because here I I had become so afraid to perform um and there i just was really liberated
2: yeah
1: yeah what were you talking about were you talking about when you first started were you talking about your experiences back home were you talking about your childhood your friends? um
0: i did stuff about um being a non-drink an australian who's a non-drinker because australians over there have a really bad rep as sure. big drinkers. Yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> so I, I did stuff about me being a non-drinker. Um, everyone over there uh, – smoking isn't like a, a social a, – a you know, a disease person over there. Like yep. everyone smokes. So yeah. I did a whole lot of stuff about smoking, menopause. God. Um, oh, the Germans. <laughs> The Germans, there was so much to do on the Germans, I had to leave the German stuff alone. Um,
1: (laughs) When did you decide to come back?
0: Um, We'd done a year in lockdown. My son hadn't been in a school for an entire year. And watching his life disintegrate was really disturbing. So we decided to come back and we decided to come to an area where – If there was a lockdown, there was still a million miles of beach to walk along and a million things to do outside. Yep. And um, so that's why we moved to Cairns.
1: Did you see a change in him when he got back?
0: Totally, yeah. I mean, it was just horrible. Yeah. It was just the pits. His school was online. His friends were online. Everything was online. He was just in his room online. And then just before we left, they lifted the lockdown and the very first day of the lockdown being lifted, him and his mates all got together. They were just so happy to be together.
1: Yeah, yeah. I can't imagine, like, a, you know, in my in my world I was very lucky where, you know, oh, when I went to school it was in person and mm. you can't even think, like, I went on a European getaway as soon as I finished school and went and did that and, and, and that just didn't exist. Mm. Like, it doesn't exist, especially at those formative years as well.
0: Oh, it was just so hellish watching him in this new world and we just, yeah, we just had to get somewhere for his sake that was, you know, big and outdoorsy.
1: Yeah. yeah.
0: So, yeah, we decided on Cairns.
1: Has he shown signs of what he wants to do? Is it anything in line with what you do?
0: Nothing at all. Yeah. The, I mean, God, he's funny. He's funnier than me. In fact, I steal his jokes all the time. <laughs> um, <laughs> uh, he is uh, he wants to be uh, in paramedics. So he's actually going into year 11, but he's already doing a diploma in paramedicine. Right, okay. So, yeah, he's really motivated with that.
1: Yeah, yeah. What what sort of ambitions do you have now?
0: Well, I just want to keep on doing stand-up because I love it. Yeah. I love it so much. It brings me so much joy. It's like the best antidepressant I've ever had. And it brings me so much joy when I'm hearing people laugh. Yeah. So I just want to get better and better and better. That's like my goal at the moment. Um, then um, I've also got writing projects that come into me all the time. So at the moment, I've got a, a TV series that I'm script editing, a children's TV series I'm writing, and a feature film that I'm I'm script editing. So. Yep. You know, there's always those bubbling away at the side. And, of course, a law degree. Yeah. Um,
1: <laughs> so when was that decision?
0: <laughs> I don't know. I don't even know what I was thinking. What was I thinking? <laughs> Why am I doing a law degree? Oh, God. Um. Yeah, that was because I thought when I came back to Australia I wouldn't be very busy. So I thought right. I'll do law degree. Yeah, like, sure. Like no one will be calling. Yeah. Um. And then, yeah. That's just become – but, I I mean, I've been surprised at (laughs) – I've been surprised at how – look, I don't want to sound arrogant, but I have to say it's not that hard. (laughs) 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 And I think it's been a bit of a thing that guys have been going around for years going, oh, it's really hard. It's really hard. You know, God, do you know how hard we work? God is hard. And I have to say –
1: You've uncovered the secret. Yeah, it's not.
0: And (laughs) you know what? There's other women in the class that agree with me. They're like, you know, it's not that hard, is it? And I'm like, no, it's not.
1: How, how are you managing your time? How are you studying, working on all these projects at the same time and doing stand-up?
0: Yeah, how am I? I don't know. I, I absolutely don't know. I'm very organised and I am um, very disciplined. You know, if there's a deadline, I have to make it because I don't have time to screw around with this shit. Yeah.
1: Have you always been like that?
0: Uh, yes. Yep. Yes, I have. Uh, I think that comes from being doing ballet. Yeah, like, sure. It just drills it into you like yeah. – just keep going, just keep working <laughs> you, harder. You have to,
1: yeah. <laughs> I've got um, standard questions that I ask on this podcast. And mm-hmm. It's kind of like, uh, if you, yeah, if you have an answer for it, great. If you don't, we can move right along. Radio. What trait in people do you admire the most?
0: Resilience. Mm.
1: Yeah. Absolutely. You're drawn to people like that?
0: Yeah, people who've got a story to tell where they've picked themselves up and Kept going, you know, they're my heroes. Yeah. I really just think, yeah, that's that's awesome.
1: Yeah. If you could choose to be born into the perfect environment, what would that look like for you? Hmm. Obviously your environment made you who you are.
0: Yeah. Um, <laughs> sometimes I used to think, you know, maybe I should be harder on my son so that, you know, he does something with his life. <laughs> <laughs> And then I realised, no, the idea is that the world out there is tough and no matter what happens to him or because of him, he can come home and know that he's safe. Yep. And that's what we've created. So no matter what it is, he knows that he is safe at home. There is not going to be any, you know, crazy punishments and anything like that that... It's bad enough out there. He doesn't need it. Yeah, he gets home.
2: Yeah,
1: he knows so he's that's, always going to have a home.
0: Yeah, that's that's my environment. <laughs>
1: yeah. Uh, what's your favourite thing about yourself?
0: Um, hmm. favourite thing. I think being able to make people laugh. Yeah. I'm yeah, sorry yeah, yeah, to yeah, be yeah. so obvious. No, <laughs> you know that's great. Sorry, you can yeah you can stop listening now. She's boring.
1: <laughs> no, I really do love that. Yeah. What's uh? What's something about yourself you'd change? Mm.
0: My impatience. Right. Okay. Yeah, I can get very frustrated and very impatient.
1: In what sort of situations do you find yourself the most impatient?
0: When people are fucking imbeciles. <laughs>
1: yeah.
2: Yeah.
0: <laughs> no. Um. Yeah. When <coughs> something's just not going as planned, um, or you're on a call to something and someone and some department and all that, I'm so, so impatient. Yep. And it's really horrible. I shouldn't be. (laughs) You know, these poor people have got a job to do and I just get really like, can we just move this along, please?
1: (laughs) The voice changes. (laughs) Yeah. Yeah. (laughs) Uh, Who influenced you the most?
0: Oh, um, God, I've forgotten her name. Oh.
1: What sort of thing did she do?
0: She was on that show I was talking about. Oh, before. Goldie Horn, N- not Goldie Horn. She had long dark hair. She used to do a lot of characters. Or oh, Lily Tomlin. No, and she died quite young. Oh, Gilda olden- Radner. Gilda Radner. That's it. Yeah. Loved her. Just um, loved her
1: characters and loved her yeah, style. Yeah, yeah. Just
0: thought, yeah, she was. Amazing, yeah. She really influenced me, and Lucille Ball. Mm. I used to watch the Lucille Ball show and just be like, "I want to do that." Yeah, (laughs) you know, like,
1: yeah. Loved how out there they were.
0: Yeah, and just you know, like that era of women too. Like it then went silent for so many years. Like you had Lucille Ball, Gilda Radner, Phyllis Diller, yeah, Phyllis Diller, Lily Tomlin, all these women doing amazing things, and then it was like it stopped. You know, and it went silent. And none of these women were writing movies or being in movies. It was all, you know. And it wasn't until sort of, I reckon, Bridesmaids came out that you saw a resurgence of people trusting that women could helm a film yeah,
2: and yeah. write it, for
0: yeah. God's sake, and produce it. You know, like, oh, 30 Rock, Tina Fey, you yeah. know. Like, it really was a, a very silent era for a long time. Yeah. And also... Um, when I first started doing comedy, the only way that people could make sense of women doing comedy was if they were unattractive or gay.
2: Right, okay. And, that, and
0: I'm not saying that as a slur. I'm saying that is like people assumed I was gay because I was doing comedy. You know, like it, it was like the only way they could make sense of the fact that there was a woman on stage or a woman on television making people laugh. And it really was very odd.
2: Yeah, yeah.
1: Uh, who who do you like now? Who do you like watching now?
0: Um, oh well, Kitty. Yep. Um, oh God, I don't know. I watch so many people. Yeah, 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 yeah. <laughs> um, I love watching Dave Chappelle, even though I don't agree with so much of what he says. I just love his mastery.
2: Yeah, sure. Yeah, um,
0: yeah. But um, I still yearn for the days of Phyllis Diller.
2: Yeah, yeah. <laughs> Yeah,
0: those crazy wigs and yeah. Maybe I'll start doing that when I hit (laughs) sixty. Philip Diller style, yeah, and that laugh.
1: (laughs) Uh, Who do you choose to surround yourself with now, and has that changed over time?
0: Yeah, a long time ago, I I've really felt like I had to know everyone, and I and everyone had to, you know, I had to have a ton of friends, and they all had to love me, and you know, now I'm more than happy with just. My husband and my son and yeah. three girlfriends and that's yeah. it.
1: Do you, have, do you have friends all over the place now that you keep in contact with? Yeah. 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 Is it Is it quite isolating being, you know, so far up north? Like, do you find that? Oh, terribly, the, yeah, terribly. Yeah. Terribly. And
0: it's it really drives me insane and I, I don't like that part of it at all.
1: Yeah. How do you combat that? Mm. <clears throat> Are you a bigger talker on the phone? Yeah. What do you do? <laughs> um,
0: lots of flights to Melbourne. Yeah. Um, <laughs> Uh, yeah, I, I do try to talk to my, stay in touch with my friends. Yeah. Like, bit of a FaceTime call every now and again.
1: Yep. Yeah. Did your family ever get to see you like after, I guess, did they ever come and watch you do sh- shows by yourself? Have you ever had family members? Come yeah. And see you but doing? I hate
0: people who love me coming. Right. To see me yeah. work. It's like my husband, I won't let him come. Right. Because I love him so much that I would, I just would be too nervous. Sure. Yeah. Yeah. No.
1: Has he ever been able to watch you perform? No. 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 You like doing it by yourself? Yeah. 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 (laughs) Uh, When are you at your happiest?
0: Uh, When I am alone on a beach with a book. (laughs) Yep. Which I sometimes just sneak off from the house. And go and lie on a beach somewhere. Yeah. And just try and relax. Have a swim in the beautiful water.
2: Yeah.
0: I'm happy. My my ultimate fantasy, I think, is to just be in a luxurious hotel room by myself for a weekend. Yeah. To watch an entire movie uninterrupted.
1: <laughs> yeah. <laughs> when are you at your lowest?
0: <clears throat> mm. When things... Um, when I get told no, which is a lot.
1: Is it still hard to hear no's? Oh, yeah. After all this time? Yeah.
0: Yeah, it is. Yeah. Um. Yeah, particularly when I think I've got a lot more to offer now and I'm a lot more skilled mm. and you're hearing no and it's no because, well, you know it's no be, not because you're not good enough. It's no because we wanted someone else for this part mm. and you weren't right for it. and But that still hurts. But, yeah, I find no hard and I have a little bit of a sulk, but then I'm like back straight back to, right, that's okay.
1: Yeah, yeah. I'll show you. <laughs> <laughs> Is that the hardest part, do you think, of the industry, the the rejection? Totally. Yeah. Totally.
0: Yep. And no matter how long you're doing it, it still hurts. Yeah,
1: yeah. Uh, mm. I don't know if you've seen the great um, Joan Rivers documentary piece of work.
0: I haven't and I've tried to and I haven't been able to find it. Yeah,
1: it's, it's it's just amazing and there's, there's parts of – her where she talks about, you know, being, I don't know how old she was at the time, but she like 80 years old or something and going, and I'm still getting rejected and still people say no all the time. Yeah. And you go, she goes, that's just the hardest bit. It's awful. Yeah. Yeah, yeah. And
0: even though logically you know that it's not because you're not good enough, it's a no because of another reason. Emotionally, you're just like, I'm not good enough.
1: (laughs) Well, it's because it's so you, like it's you (laughs) there, you know. Yeah. It's someone that people know and.
0: Yeah, it's. Yeah, it's hard.
1: Yeah, yeah. Uh, if you could pinpoint a moment in time that you think had the greatest impact or influence on you, what do you think that might be?
0: When the drunk teacher dropped me in class. Yeah. Changed my life forever.
1: In what way did it physically change your life? Like, it, were things different from that exact moment? Yeah. Um,
0: the Well, the accident changed my... Tr- trajectory, you yeah. know, I'd never considered any other career. Um I still miss ballet, like I still really miss it. Yeah. Um I love dancing. Um and I I would have been happy yep. to have gone on down that route. Um but that accident also some people say was the biggest break I ever got. Because it did lead me off into this other world where I became a comedian. And so it's like the sliding doors thing. Yeah. You know. Um, But that accident was devastating. And it's the kind of accident I don't think you ever recover from. Yeah. It's like being in a car accident and the person next to you dies. And then you realise, well, actually part of me died. Um, So I don't think there's any truly ever acceptance of something that fatalistic, but um, at the same time I have to be grateful for where it led me.
1: Yeah, yeah. Do you, do you consume a lot of <coughs> that now? Do you consume a lot of dance?
0: I just, I, I get so emotional when I watch it. Yeah. Still, like I just get so emotional. Yeah. Um, yeah, it's it's actually really hard for me to watch it sometimes.
1: Yeah, I can imagine, Yeah. Uh, What's the hardest thing you've been through and did it change you?
0: Oh, yes. Uh, Drug addiction, Mm -hmm. um, getting clean and sober. That's the hardest thing I've been through.
1: How long did that take to – like when did you actually realise you had a problem?
0: Um, When a mosquito bit me on the arm, just sucked up my heroin blood and then it flew over and stole my TV. That's when I realised (laughs) –
1: You might have a problem. (laughs) Might have a problem. No. Uh, (laughs)
0: No. I knew I had a problem from the first day I tried it. Um, and it was like the best painkiller ever. Yeah. But getting clean and sober was hell. It was really hell.
1: Did you go to a rehab facility? or? Did yeah. You to, yeah.
0: I went to a rehab before it was cool to go to rehab. Wow. Yeah. Another first. <laughs> um, <laughs>
1: How long did you go for? Uh,
0: I was in there for six weeks. Mm-hmm. Um, and I came out and yeah. I, there were a couple of stumbles along the way, but essentially, yeah, it's been 22 years. Wow. Since I had a drink or a drug.
1: That's huge. Mm. Do you think you have a very addictive personality? You were talking about work before being the the drug and what you really enjoy.
0: Oh yeah. I get right into stuff and I lose myself there. And, you know, addiction is simply a place to lose yourself. That's, it it eases pain. Yeah. That's, that's what it does. Um, so yeah, I love getting lost. I love getting addicted. Yeah.
1: (laughs) Is that now the, the crowd that that makes you feel like that? Is that where you're getting your hit from? Yeah, I
0: think it is. And it's the drive to make better jokes. You know, how can I make this joke so tight? You know, like it's that drive of like, I'm going to make this one work. This one's going to hit, you know, like it's all
1: that. Yeah. Yeah. What drives you now? What's your biggest motivator to get you going every day?
0: Uh it used to be <laughs> getting up and having a cigarette and a coffee but now that I don't smoke um what drives me I don't know what drives me I just know that I can't not create that's all I know yeah yeah like I I know that every day I do something creative and I can't not do it yep so I guess even though I get out of bed, I know that that's going to be something I do.
1: Do you take a break ever? Like, do you ever take a, a weekend off or, a, you know, do you, do, you, do you find it too hard to take time off?
0: I find it very hard to be still, which is, sure. you know, look, I know a lot of people meditate and all that kind of stuff. I I just can't. And um, people might think that I'm not facing up to my illnesses or whatever, but I do what I have to to survive. And for me, surviving means doing things.
1: Yeah, yeah. Um, I like to end the podcast by asking the same question I did at the start. So do you think, Tanya Lacey, if nature or nurture had the biggest impact on you?
0: Mm, I think I might say nature now.
1: Mm. Yeah. yeah. (laughs) (laughs) It's funny when you talk through everything that the answer can sometimes change. Yeah. 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 What have you got coming up that people can check out and how do people find oh, you?
0: So I'm doing Adelaide Fringe at the Rhino Room March 7 to 12. Mm-hmm. And I'm doing Melbourne International Comedy Festival at Campari House. Are you really? Yes. What time? Uh, March 29, April
1: 9th. I'm producing a show there at, Get at Campari House. Get out. Yeah. Oh, the wonderful cool. Mish Witrup, who won, well, she was just nominated for Best Newcomer last year that we, um, yeah, that we worked really hard on her show and so that's so exciting. You're at Kampari awesome. House.
0: Yeah. yeah, and my show's at 7.40.
1: Oh, fantastic. And my friend Jess Perkins is on, I think, just before you. So oh. 6.35. Oh, oh my, my God. They're with royalty. <laughs> I'll tell them. I'll spread the word.
0: <laughs> yeah, so they're, they're the two that are locked in at the moment and I'm hoping to get to Brisbane and Sydney this year.
1: Yeah, fantastic. So, yeah. Yeah. Well, I can't wait to come and see you. That's so oh, exciting. Oh, great. Yeah, fantastic. Well, thank you so much for joining me on the podcast. You're an absolute inspiration to a lot of people and have been over a long time, and I hope that you um, feel loved, and and I think you're fantastic.
0: Thank you so much.
1: Thank you for <laughs> thank joining you. me on the podcast. <laughs> Thank you for listening to Nature or Nurture for this week. My name is Sammy Peterson, and you can follow me, sampeterson91, on Instagram. I also have a comedy podcast called Confessions. You can find that. The handles are Confessions, the podcast, on Instagram, TikTok, and Facebook. You can also just search it on your regular podcast apps. Please do rate this podcast Uh, I would love that it helps get the podcast out there to so many people thank you to the wonderful Michelle Laurie and Matthew Tankard They're, they're great producers and I couldn't do this without them please do share this podcast around I'd love to get it out there to as many people as possible so please do share it with a friend and tell the person that you just heard on this podcast that you really enjoyed hearing their chat thank you so much hope you have a good week and I will talk to you very very soon goodbye